When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is July the 26th, 2023. The Orioles are still in first place, but they have fallen to 62-39 and 39 after racking up another stupid loss on Tuesday night, a 4-3 walk-off defeat at the hands of the Philadelphia Phillies. Yenier Cano blew the game in the ninth inning, spoiling what was otherwise a nice effort as Kyle Gibson went six innings with just two runs allowed in the game. New reliever Shintaro Fujinami tossed two scoreless innings and looked pretty darn good for the first time in his Orioles tenure. He was in line for a win thanks to Ryan O'Hearn's go-ahead home run, but it was spoiled. With Felix Bautista seemingly getting another night off after having been used heavily lately, it was Cano, who's also been used kind of heavily lately, who was summoned in the ninth inning to protect a one-run lead. He allowed a single and a double to tie the game, and another single after that ended the game. And, you know, let's not neglect disappointment in Jorge Mateo, with apologies to my wife, who is president of the Jorge Mateo fan club, because Mateo could have at least ended the ninth inning after the game was tied with a ground ball that was hit to him, but he double-clutched and couldn't get out the runner. And, you know, Mateo has made a lot of ninth-inning miscues lately, I feel. And that play on Tuesday night was not scored an error, at least initially, as I'm looking at the box score for this podcast. I think that's probably due to home cooking uh, from the Philadelphia scorer trying to give a hit to the Phillies player rather than uh, fairly assessing whether the ball should have been a hit or an error, because Mateo pretty clearly made a um, made a mistake. And, you know, Mateo, beyond just that mistake in the field in the bottom half of the inning, he also did nothing to help the Orioles' chance of getting insurance run in the top of the ninth inning by swinging at the first pitch after a walk, hitting a near double play ball that was only overturned to have him have it be a fielder's choice where Mateo was safe at first after the out was recorded at second on review. Mateo never tried to steal second base after getting on. Now, again, in fairness to Mateo, this may be because Jake Cave spiked him in the ankle or calf in Monday's game. Uh, but still, I mean, if Jorge Mateo is not hitting, he's not running, and he's not fielding, what good is he on the team? You know, it is worth noting Mateo only came into the game at all, probably, because the starting shortstop for Tuesday's game, Gunnar Henderson, came out of the game after landing awkwardly on first base while trying to beat out an infield hit. The team said during the game that uh, it was called lower back discomfort. So it's going to be a question of how bad is the injury. Uh, you know, if, 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 if Henderson ends up landing on the injury list, Things are going to feel pretty darn dire, even though the team currently has over a 600 winning percentage. So after the game, manager Brandon Hyde told Orioles reporters it might be a couple days. So maybe we won't see Henderson here on Wednesday, and then the Orioles have an off day on Thursday. Hopefully that will be enough to get Henderson 
whatever rest he needs. And, you know, speaking of guys who need rest, results have been poor for Yenier Cano since the start of June when he had a 300 batting average allowed in that month. And they've especially been poor in the month of July where Cano has started allowing really hard contact and extra base hits, which at least he wasn't doing much even in June when he started struggling. And, I mean, we've already said on this podcast, Madison's Ben McDonald has noticed a lowered arm slot. That's been confirmed by looking at the uh, StatCast release point observations. McDonald thinks it's possibly caused by Cano having a tired arm, which, you know, it's understandable. He's been used heavily. The Orioles have had to lean on him. He was a big part of why the Orioles were able to have the success that they did in April and May. He was able to get a spot on the All-Star team due to his success in those early months. But he doesn't look like the same guy that he did earlier in the year. And I guess the question for the Orioles is going to be, can he rest a little bit and be back to that? Or is he kind of not going to be able to refine that form? It certainly feels to me like Cano is unable to get pitches down in a way that um, batters are able to swing over them uh, in the way that he was doing in April and May, because he's either throwing them too far down and batters are just not swinging at all. And then they're getting into more favorable counts where Cano has to throw them more hittable pitches or he's throwing the hittable pitches just right in the zone because he can't make it move the way that he was early on. I mean, if Ben McDonald has noticed, if the stat cast shows it, the Orioles must also know. So it was like, well, why did they put him in? But at the same time, who else do you want in the ninth inning, even knowing Cano is a bit diminished? Are you going to put Brian Baker in there? Are you going to put Cino Perez, who has turned it around a bit lately, but is not fully back in my good graces yet, at least? You know, with the trade deadline now six days away, I feel like the Cano situation has got to be in the Orioles' minds. It was a great story for him to get to the All-Star game. Uh, But the Orioles also have to realistically assess what players can offer in August and September. And, you know, as as a sidebar, also in this category, Austin Hayes has lost uh, negative 0.5 wins above replacement just since the end of the All-Star break. So he's also really stunk. Of course, the team is pretty much locked in with Hayes for the rest of the season. He also stunk in the second half last season, so maybe that's just what Austin Hayes does. Maybe he's playing through some kind of injury that he is not disclosing, or the team is deciding it's better to have a diminished Hayes than an injury replacement. Uh, I don't I don't know. Whoever's deciding that, if, if there is some kind of injury, maybe, uh, maybe they're wrong. You know, we do, of course, need to keep in mind when... A number of years ago, when Orioles star Adam Jones was playing poorly and reporters asked him if he was playing through an injury, and Jones's response was, sometimes you just suck, man. And, you know, that's true. Sometimes you do just suck. But uh, actually, to this day, I believe Jones was playing through an injury at the time he said that, and he was not helping the team playing through the injury. If that's what Hayes is doing now, I don't know. Anyway, the, 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 the Mateo stuff and the Cano stuff, these were the key late plays. But in fairness, the Orioles did blow some early opportunities to score runs. And if they had capitalized on those, the game would have looked very different. Of course, we know the Orioles pretty much refused to have comfortable, easy wins. And stuff like this is why. And, um, you know, not literally. It's not like the Orioles are sitting and deciding actively. But just the way they play, they refuse to have easy wins. 
And so, you know, in the second inning, they had one run in and then loaded the bases with no one out after scoring the run, but they didn't get any more runs that inning. Jordan Westberg struck out. Gunnar Henderson hit a pop out that was nowhere near deep enough to get a runner in on a sacrifice fly. And then Adley Rutschman did the classic get the fly out after there's already two outs and it doesn't matter. In the third inning, Adam Frazier got an RBI double, but then he was thrown out on the base pass like a nincompoop, or if you've never heard the acronym, that is a toot plan, uh, trying to stretch a double into a triple. And that ended the inning. You know, the classic baseball um, saying, never make the first out or third out at third base. And Frazier did on that occasion. It would not have been bad if he was standing on second with two outs, but, you know, that's the way it worked out. In the end, after all that, the Orioles were one out away from it being enough to win the game, but it wasn't. It wasn't enough. They couldn't do it. So, you know, one way to look at it is the O's were, quote-unquote, due to lose a close game because they had won six straight one-run games, which multiple beat reporters noted on Twitter right before the game was blown. Being as superstitious as I am, I uh, was feeling nervous when they started doing that. But of course, nothing that any beat writer tweets during a game uh, is going to have any bearing on whether the Orioles win or lose. Nothing you say, nothing a broadcaster says, etc. Sometimes we just can't help but feel those superstitious feelings. But as far as the Orioles losing the game, as the fedora-wearing man says to a young Indiana Jones early in Indiana Jones in the last crusade, you lost today, kid, but that doesn't mean you have to like it. So paired with a Rays win over the Miami Marlins on Tuesday, the Orioles are back down to a one and a half game lead in the division. If you want to take a little silver lining, the Orioles win on Monday while the Rays were off was one of the catch up games, which by which I mean the Rays had played four games more than the Orioles. Um, Now it's three more games. The Orioles won one of the games as they were making up the difference. So the their result on the remaining three days where the Orioles play and the Rays are off is also going to be pretty important to keep in mind for who's going to end up with the edge in the division. If you also want some silver lining, the Orioles, by winning on Monday, are guaranteed to at least be tied for uh, the record for the series without a sweep streak post-integration of the major leagues. They now have 72 straight series without being swept, so if they are able to win any of the games against New York this weekend, that It's going to give the Orioles the record. It it has not been seen since, uh, I think it was 1942 to 1944. Um, That was the last time anyone um, had such a good streak. And, you know, it, 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 it hasn't been seen in a long time. So can the Orioles do that? That's what we'll be told this weekend. But for now, they got one more game against the Phillies. The Orioles are at least guaranteed a winning July. But, you know, they've got the Yankees and then the Jays after this series against the Phillies. So... They got to keep their foot on the gas. They got to keep these other teams far down in the race. The Orioles are currently on a 99 win pace. I'm still taking the under. You know, I just, they've got too many problems that I don't think are going to let them keep chasing a 100 win pace for long, as fun as all of the wins are. It just, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they're going to do it. I hope they can stabilize somewhere like a 95 win pace. You know, because it's like, even if they do make trades to improve, like, for instance, at this point with the bullpen, you might only be substituting, if you get a good reliever, you might just be substituting that guy 
for a faltering Cano rather than strengthening the roster even more than it was like two weeks ago or something like that, you know? So that's, that's what's going to be the big question at the trade deadline. And again, we've got six more days. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the Orioles are going to do. As I've said on this podcast before, I am, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm excited. I, I just don't know what to expect. It's, uh, it, it, it could get fun. It could get crazy. It could get disappointing if they don't make what feels like an impactful move. I just don't know. But it all comes down to the game later today to get a series win in Philadelphia. Good news. Kyle Bradish, who is now the Orioles' best starting pitcher by ERA and FIP, is pitching in the game. It's 3.05 ERA. That's amazing. I certainly hope he can keep pitching like that. We'll see if the Phillies lineup is something he's able to keep doing well against. Orioles batters, probably without Gunnar Henderson, will be going up against Philadelphia lefty Ranger Suarez. And simply put, they're going to need to do better than they did against fellow Phillies lefty Taiwan Walker on Tuesday night. I'm sorry, Taiwan Walker's a righty, but either way, the Orioles need to do better than they did against Walker on Tuesday night. Otherwise, I'm going to be a grumpy Gus. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. A quick programming note before we get into some prospect talk. This is the last regular episode before I go on a vacation. Episodes of the podcast will post on the regularly scheduled days while I'm gone. They're just going to be pre-recorded episodes that are covering some big picture topics. So the ones I've already recorded are about Dan Duquette's 2018 fire sale trades, looking at how they're still impacting the team or not. Mike Elias's rebuilding trades, how they're impacting the team and looking at Mike Elias's draft classes to date. There's also going to be an all-mailbag episode where I share some of your random favorite Orioles games. I will be, I'm planning to have the next regular episode be back on August the 8th. But again, there will be stuff on the feed while I'm gone. I hope you will enjoy it, and I hope there is some great Orioles stuff to talk about between now and then. I will be on a beach and sipping Mai Tais, so... I'm going to be enjoying it, whether or not the Orioles are doing well. Hopefully, um, when I check up on them, it's going well. Okay, a little bit of prospect news. The Orioles got done two more draft pick signings on the day of the deadline to sign their picks from this year's class. They inked competitive rounds bound round B pitcher Jackson Baumeister from Florida State to an overslot deal about $350,000 above the slot for that pick. They also signed 14th round pitcher from a community college in Florida, Michael Foret, to a $450,000 bonus. That's about fifth round money, so that's about where they valued that player. The Orioles ended up signing 19 of the 22 players they drafted this year. I thought maybe they'd end up with 20, but 19 for who they drafted, I think uh, that's a pretty good number. And, you know, they got a lot of pitchers with their higher picks, and hopefully some of these pitchers turn into prospects. You know, speaking of pitchers, I am hoping eventually turn into prospects. Our unheralded prospect of the day is a left-handed pitcher named Davy Cruz. The Orioles signed him out of the Dominican Republic when he was 16 years old. He was one of the less heralded names in the signing class that saw the Orioles give out their first seven-figure signing bonuses to catcher Samuel Basayo and shortstop Michael Hernandez. So Cruz's bonus has not been reported anywhere that I've seen. He could be one of these players who got a, uh, a very modest, less than six-figure even signing bonus. 
The Orioles first assigned Cruz to low A Delmarva last year in his age 18 season. He bat- he struck out about one batter per uh, inning, which is nice, but he had a walk rate of 6.1 batters per nine innings. Very similar story. He's back at Delmarva for his age 19 season in 2023. He's got a 3.53 ERA, which is good. Struck out 72 batters in 66 and a third innings, also good. But the walk rate is still very high, 5.3 per nine innings. It's not going to cut the mustard. So batters only have a 198 average against Cruz. And, you know, the walk rate has been improving, although it is still rough since April. So as far as Cruz, before the season, um, Mass and Steve Malewski deemed him the number 15 international prospect in the Orioles system. And he wrote of Cruz that the Orioles are hoping that he can gain 15 to 20 pounds or so. The five foot 11 Cruz was listed before the season at about 155 pounds. That's uh, that's not a lot of muscle for a, uh, a baseball player, a pitcher particularly. Muscle tends to be what allows you to both have a bit more velocity and to hold your velocity and stamina deeper into games. So Molesky said the Orioles hope that in gaining 15 to 20 pounds, Cruz might be able to get up to averaging 94 miles an hour on his fastball, whereas he was um, before the season was at 90 to 91 miles an hour on average, only maxing out at 94 and hoping that the faster fastball would be able to pair with a slider and changeup that the Orioles like. I don't have any information about whether Cruz is uh, gaining that weight or getting higher on the radar gun. I think that will probably go a long way towards determining whether he becomes a prospect who is worth knowing a little more or not. One more prospect revisited on our list from the Camden Chat composite top Orioles prospect list before the season. We are now down to number 13. That is outfielder Judd Fabian. He was rumored to be the guy the Orioles wanted to draft in the second round in 2021, although the Red Sox drafted him one pick before the Orioles did. Fabian did not sign with the Red Sox, and the O's ended up getting Fabian the next year, 2022 anyway. That year, Fabian hit 24 home runs in 66 games for the University of Florida. Not too shabby. Fabian is now in his age 22 season. He started the season at Aberdeen High A like the other 2022 college picks did. Got some pretty good results there. A 281 batting average with a 392 on on-base percentage and 490 slugging percentage. That's just like... That's almost a chef's kiss. That's that's just a few points shy of getting like the 300, 400, 500, which is just so aesthetically pleasing and rare. And mind you, that is for Aberdeen, where again, that's a tough hitting environment. So that was through 56 games. And the Orioles promoted him to Bowie since Fabian is a little bit older, since he was draft eligible for the second time when the Orioles signed him. Fabian already got six home runs in 24 games for the Bowie Bay Sox. However, a crazy strikeout rate, 37.8% of the time striking out through 111 plate appearances with the Bay Sox. That is a sharp spike up from 25.7% with Aberdeen. And I think once you get above 25%, that's where you start getting concerning. So for him to be way, way over that at 37.8% is a problem. Not a new issue for Judd Fabian, unfortunately. Uh, It has been a concern with him going back to his amateur days because even when he was a college junior and was drafted by the Red Sox in 2021, Fabian struck out 29% of the time. So that's kind of a 
red flag. And ultimately, that might be why the Red Sox uh, didn't offer Fabian the money that he thought he deserved because he did, uh, you know, that that's a big red flag in your game if you've struck out that much, even against, you know, SEC college conference competition. You don't want to see that many strikeouts already for a college guy. Scouting reports are at least positive on Fabian's defense in center field. That is mostly what he has played this season. He has worked in a little bit in the corners. So, you know, I don't I don't know where it lines up for him. Of course, the Orioles did use their first round draft pick this year on supposedly an elite running and fielding center fielder in Enrique Bradfield. So I don't know where that leaves a guy like Fabian. You know, I don't know if he's going to be a trade bait over the next six days or trade bait in the offseason or whatever. What I do know is that Fabian is one of the many Orioles prospects who, as a right-handed batter, there's really now, and a right-handed power batter especially, you know, every one of these guys we got to look at a little bit differently thanks to the Baltimore out there in left field. Like, your right-handed power is not worth as much at home as it used to be even two years ago thanks to that wall. Was it ultimately a good decision to put the wall exactly as it was? I don't... Well, I mean, the stats are in, and it's cost the Orioles batters more than it's cost other teams. That's been demonstrated by anybody who's dug into the StatCast numbers. Is that how it's going to stabilize over the long run? I don't know. It has been intimated by the Orioles that they could adjust it to somewhere in the midpoint between where it was and where it is now. I do kind of think maybe that's what they'll end up doing, but until we see something new, we have to... Well, we don't have to fully assume everyone's going to swan dive like Ryan Mountcastle or even Trey Mancini last year or even Austin Hayes right now, who only has nine home runs this season. But it is going to be tough for every righty batter who is mostly pull-oriented to keep doing power at home at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And, you know, the Orioles, they can't just run out a lineup of all lefties and switch hitters, although that would be cool if they could, but it's not going to happen, so... They're going to have to find some righties who can last and who can do it. Is Fabian one of those guys? I don't know. I hope he can be. I think anybody who can hit as many home runs as he does in the minors could potentially do something fun. But, I, you know, I don't know how it's going to translate. He's already only he's already below the Mendoza line for Bowie. And, you know, that's just double A. He's still got to conquer triple A and then get to the Major League Baseball level and then do it there, too. And... You know, I, 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 as I've said before on this show, I want them all to make it. You know, every guy I talk about, I want him to be a future multi-year good Oriole. You know, a guy who maybe can play for like on a good year. He can make it slip into an all-star team kind of like Austin Hayes did this year. I want them all to do it. They're not all going to do it. You know, it's just the way it goes. So uh, which, which category Fabian will end up in, I don't know, but. For now, he can start with raising his batting average and striking out less for the Bowie Bay Sox. That's all that I have got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will post every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. Again, a reminder, things will not be current reaction episodes again until August the 8th, but the episodes will continue posting. So please keep listening and you know, I will uh, I will leave you with the hope that the Orioles do something awesome, that I will feel anxious to be on the beach and not able to talk about it on this show or write about it on CamdenChat.com. 
That that would be my best case scenario. We'll see if it happens. Anyway, in between now and the next time I'm here, you can leave a comment on Camden Chat. You'll find me there in the comments, but not for the next week under the name Eat More SK. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.